Good morning and welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. It's always great to start the morning out with you. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I hope you are having a great morning. We started off today with Matthew West and a a song I love called You Are Everything, a nice acoustic version of that. And today on the show, we're going to finish up some Advent preparation. We've got a homily about the fourth Sunday of Advent. You know, it's one of those things that because of how the calendar falls this year, the fourth Sunday of Advent is December 24th. And it becomes Christmas Eve, the official liturgical start of the Christmas season at 4 p.m. local time wherever you are in the world. So, you know, not 4 p.m. our local time, 3 p.m. East Coast or whatever it is, or or 5 p.m. East Coast, 4 p.m. wherever you are, Christmas begins on Sunday. But because of that, the fourth Sunday of Advent is, well, maybe about, what, 18 hours long? I don't know, not even. Um, And so we're not going to have a lot of time to reflect. That's my point. So let's start reflecting now for the fourth Sunday of Advent, since we don't really get a fourth week of Advent. We'll, we'll have to make do. We also will finish up our Advent pilgrimage with the Blessed Mother and our pilgrimage director, Monsignor John Myler, this morning. We've got Dr. John Bergsma from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology with us on the show. And, of course, it's Thursday, so Father David Skillman's going to be with us to talk about the Redeemer of Man. That is all ahead on today's episode of Roadmap to Heaven. First, let's go to Mike Roberts for our weather and saint of the day. Today is the feast day of St. Peter Canatius, Doctor of the Church. Born in 1521 in what is now the Netherlands, his father was a wealthy magistrate, but his mother died when he was still a baby. At a relatively young age, he was sent to study at the University of Cologne, where he earned a master's degree at the age of 19. There he met Peter Favor, the first disciple of St. Ignatius of Loyola and one of the founders of the Society of Jesus. Under his spiritual guidance, Canatius became the first Dutch Jesuit priest in 1541. For a half century following the Protestant Reformation, Peter Canatius led the Catholic Reformation in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Bohemia. He was a popular preacher who restored lapsed Catholics and converted Protestants. Canatius founded numerous colleges, seminaries, and taught at many of those himself. And he was also a great writer, authoring several books, including Summary of Christian Doctrine and two smaller works on catechism, explaining the faith in a way everyone could understand. And these helped launch the Catholic press. During his lifetime, His instructions on catechism were translated into 150 languages and reprinted more than 200 times. Canatius also had a love for the apostolate life, found time to visit those in prison and cared for the sick, especially victims of the plague. And he had great diplomatic skills, advising charity and moderation. Using all of his gifts in the service of the Lord, Peter Canatius was often called the second apostle of Germany following St. Bonavis. In 1591, at the age of 70, he had a stroke which left him partially paralyzed, but he continued to preach and write with the help of a secretary. He died on this day 
1597. St. Peter Canisius, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. A prayer for the holy souls. O Lord Jesus Christ, King of glory, deliver the souls of all the faithful departed from the pains of hell and from the bottomless pit. Deliver them from the lion's mouth, that hell not swallow them up, that they fall not into darkness, but let the holy standard-bearer Michael bring them into the holy light which you promised to Abraham and his seed. Amen. It has been a wonderful week going on this radio pilgrimage together with the Blessed Mother to these places along the way, culminating with the Nativity, which is really what this whole season of Advent is about. It's preparing ourselves to encounter our Lord and His Incarnation, celebrating the Nativity of our Lord Christmas. And our pilgrimage director, Monsignor Myler, has been so kind to offer us reflections every day. And today, Monsignor, is, is a banner day because this is the day we talk about the, the principal destination of our pilgrimage. Today is the day when we enter the town of Bethlehem and the church of the Nativity, which dates from 330 A.D. So here we stand in this Church of the Nativity. You reach the grotto by descending a flight of stone steps, and there are always long lines to get there. One waits and waits and waits, which is a good Advent thing to do and then enters into this ancient rectangular room, which uh, is about maybe 30 feet long, about 10 feet wide. And on the stone floor, we see there in an alcove at the east end of the room is a 14-pointed silver star, which is inscribed in Latin, Hic Dei Virgine Maria Christus Natus Est. Here, of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ was born. And we can stand there and look at it, bow down to touch it. The star is set into the cold marble floor. The significance of being 14 points on the star is to represent the three sets of 14 generations in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You know, the first 14 from Abraham to David, then 14 from David to the Babylonian captivity, 14 more from the captivity to Jesus Christ. So the whole of the Old Testament is represented, and there, in the middle of the town of Bethlehem, is the place where Christ was born. Now, we need to say a word about Bethlehem. We kind of beautify Bethlehem in our Christmas cards and some Christmas carols. Uh, Bethlehem was the town of the birth of David the king and the town, therefore, of Joseph. But Bethlehem is a poor town. Bethlehem is not picturesque. It is not beautiful to this day. It is not particularly welcoming. It is not green and lush. It is parched land. There are probably more sheep and donkeys and camels than people, then and now. Bethlehem has been a place of oppression 
and of poverty and dryness, of ugliness, even now a place of war. But here we stand where this cave was, where this cold wind would blow, trying to keep the night fires burning for light and warmth. This is where Mary gave birth. This is the place of the nativity of the Lord. It is a place of danger then and now. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in this place this night. So we should not separate the birth of Christ from his passion, death, and resurrection. In the creed, we profess him, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Let us make our creed at this very spot, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and at this place became man. But like Bethlehem today, he was crucified. He suffered, died, and was buried, but rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so, here we are in Bethlehem of 2,000 years ago and of this very day. O Lady of Advent, pray for us. Well, once again, Monsignor, thank you for this wonderful reflection as we journey through this season of Advent. This has been a delightful four-day radio pilgrimage that we've been able to take with you. Uh, Could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer for our listeners as we celebrate this season of Advent? Absolutely. Let us pray again. Prayer we make several times a day when we pray the Angelus and remember the Incarnation. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts that we to whom the Incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel at Nazareth, became flesh and born in Bethlehem, that this angel's message may lead to his passion and cross and the glory of his resurrection through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. A Prayer to Redeem Lost Time by St. Teresa of Avila. O my God, source of all mercy, I acknowledge your sovereign power. While recalling the wasted years that are past, I believe that you, Lord, can in an instant turn this loss to gain. Miserable as I am, yet I firmly believe that you can do all things. Please restore to me the time lost, giving me your grace, both now and in the future, that I may appear before you in wedding garments. Amen. We are happy to have with us on the show today Dr. John Bergsma from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. You have probably heard John's voice before on many of their wonderful programs that they offer through their online classes, their videos, and we're so happy to have you back with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. That's great to be on with you, Adam. I am really excited about this latest course that you are offering through the St. Paul Center. It's on the major prophets and their significant role in salvation history. And I don't know if it's just because uh, with every passing year as a father, being a father, 
Uh, my kids, from time to time, I see the older kids say stuff to the younger ones like, you know, if you keep on this track, dad's going to intervene and you're not going to like it. Or they, they say things like, you know, if you keep doing this, dad's going to be really happy and then you're going to be really happy with how he uh, rewards us for what we're doing here. So just keep doing this, keep doing that. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a beautiful parallel for salvation history in some ways, minor ways, and family life. Um, and John, I'm just kind of curious, when we talk about salvation history and the major prophets in the Old Testament, um, what is it that we're going to learn in this course? Because if that's just the taste, I'm ready for the full meal. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I like that analogy, Adam, because it is like uh, the the great prophets are like our older brothers and sisters in the faith who are kind of uh, talking to us and saying, hey, if you obey God the Father, you know, things will go well. And uh, if you don't, you know, there's going to be some consequences in store. Uh, they do spend a lot of their ministry and a lot of their writing uh, with those kinds of encouragements and warnings. And they are our spiritual brothers, our older spiritual brothers. We can still ask for the prayers and the intercessions of St. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel as well. But, uh, but really, Adam, you know, in this short course on the major prophets that I've done with Emmaus Academy, I really wanted to just introduce people to uh, the study of these great heroes of faith who left us these beautiful volumes in Scripture that we read, especially during this uh, time of year in Advent, you know, because Advent is that season given over to uh, going back kind of in time and reliving with Israel that period of expectation. And this is really unique to our faith, Adam. Other world religions don't have founders or um, uh, a central figure who is actually predicted to come. You know, nobody predicted that Muhammad was going to arrive, for example. He's not spoken of by the prophets of Israel or even of those of Arabia. Um, Siddhartha Gautama, whom we know of as Buddha, he was not predicted in the Bhagavad Gita or the sacred scriptures of Hinduism, etc. And we could go through other world religions and, and show that this is really something very unique. Um, and it's it's so striking. I mean, some of the some of the prophecies that we see, for example, in Isaiah 35 that speak of this coming age when the blind are going to be able to see and the deaf will hear, and the mute will speak. And then to have this rabbi from Nazareth who appears on the scene of history and right in front of people's eyes and, and you know, in front of those who would record these events for his prosperity and, and write them down, he was healing people and performing the very miracles that were prophesied 700 years before. This is, this is really amazing. And so, to, to appreciate our faith fully, uh, we, we need to understand how Jesus fulfilled the prophets. He himself said in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. And if we don't know anything about the law and the prophets, we can't appreciate Jesus' ministry of fulfillment. Uh, maybe we understand the basics. Maybe we can comprehend that he came to save us from our sins, but we're not going to really appreciate the full dimensions of Jesus' earthly ministry unless we see and realize what the prophets were predicting, what they were expecting. And, uh, and, and with that context, uh, the Gospels come that much more alive as we realize, oh, 
This is why our Lord does specifically this. This is why he travels here. This is why he heals this person. This is part of a plan that God was foreshadowing in advance through these great prophetic figures. You know, I, I'm really glad that you bring up that passage where he says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill, because I think that's one of the questions I imagine we've all asked at some point in time. If, if our Lord is the fullness of divine revelation, if we have the Gospels, if we have the New Testament, why do we need to go back to the old? And I, I was thinking, as you said that, of that parable that he tells of Lazarus and the rich man, and the rich man saying, well, send Lazarus to my relatives and friends, and... The reply is, well, they've, they've had the prophets. They've had Moses. They've had the prophets. They've had the law. Uh, why do we need the law and the prophets? And you kind of hinted at that. It helps us better understand what Jesus is doing in the Gospels. But I, I want to take that to an even deeper level. Like in my spiritual life, in my prayer life, as I read sacred scripture, why not just read the four Gospels? Why do I need to go back to Isaiah as we do so beautifully this time of year in the season of Advent? Yes, that's a great question. And I would say, you know, the center of our faith is Christ. And look at Christ's example. Um, our Lord knew the scriptures. He himself meditated on Isaiah. When, when asked about why he teaches in parables, he quotes a passage from Isaiah chapter 6. And I don't think that we really comprehend that. I mean, let's let's put this in context. Jesus Christ, this rabbi from Nazareth, he is the creator of the universe who has taken on human flesh. Okay, so this is the God who made us and all things, okay? And yet, he spends a large part of his own life meditating on Scripture such that he's able to quote verbatim from the Law and the Prophets. He's went under temptation, and this is this is always uh, strikes me quite a bit, Adam— that at key moments of our Lord's life, when he's under the most stress, when he's being tempted by Satan, when he's undergoing the uh, uh, the persecution of the cross, our Lord falls back on quotation of Scripture. So three times in the desert, you know, under the temptation of Satan, he quotes from the prophet Moses from the book of Deuteronomy. I, I mentioned already when when defining his ministry, he quotes from Isaiah. Uh, when going through his passion, he quotes from especially the Psalms, okay? So this is this is Jesus setting us an example. If he was the God-man, if he's one of the persons of the Trinity, and still found it necessary, okay, to, to devote his life to the praying over and memorizing and meditating on Scripture, you know, how much more <laughs> the rest of us who don't have the advantage of being a member of the Godhead, okay? This is really setting us an example. And so uh, the, with, the, the whole message of salvation is, is already found in a nutshell, uh, you know, in a, in a kind of a hidden way, sometimes disguised way, within the prophets. And when we, when we have that knowledge, it opens up for us uh, our Lord's ministry. And well, our Lord's ministry was comprehensible even by Greeks and Romans who didn't have the benefit of the Old Testament scriptures. For Jews who knew them, it took on like a technicolor brilliance. So we see, for example, when Jesus calls to Lazarus in John 11 and calls that, writ that uh, dead man forth from the tomb, 
Okay, we can all get the basic meaning there. But if we're if we're uh, believers who know the scriptures, then immediately what comes to our mind is Ezekiel chapter 37, which says specifically, you will know that I am the Lord God when I call you forth from your tombs, O Israel. And they're like, oh my gosh, when he's calling Lazarus forth, that is identifying himself as the Lord God who called the people of Israel into existence. And now he's walking around in the flesh. So it adds that depth. It adds a three-dimensionality to the accounts of our Lord in sacred scripture. That's absolutely wonderful. And I love how you make that come alive with that example of Lazarus for us. Because I was thinking, as well as you were saying all of these things, about my reading of the Old Testament prophets and just how that's been a comfort at times of, of trial, at times of sadness, you know, after the loss of a loved one, uh, in, in the great pro-life work we've done over the years, going to Jeremiah and, and even just a few passages from Jeremiah. But almost as if the prophets are saying, all right, Adam, as you read this today, this isn't just for the people of Israel. All these things that Isaiah is saying that the Messiah will do, that the Savior will do, this is for you too. This isn't exclusive. You're not part of this because you weren't alive back then. This is all. This is everybody involved. That's right. Yeah, it's this, this wonderful dimension of Scripture that it's not just a word to the past. You know, there's these, these different—I I describe them as horizons of fulfillment that we have when we read sacred Scripture— uh, in one dimension, you know, say the prophet Isaiah, yes, indeed, he's speaking to about events in his own day during his lifetime. But then there's a perspective of his words that looks forward to Jesus. And then since Jesus is united to the church, there's a dimension of Isaiah's words that apply to the church as a whole. But then since you and I are members of the church, there's a dimension of his words and his instruction that applies to me specifically, because I'm like the church in a person. You know, I am, you know, uh, an, a member of the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ. And so, uh, although Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, for example, wrote in the 8th century, the 7th century, the 6th century, etc., yet their words remain relevant today. And by reading and meditating on them, I could see even applications to my own life in 2023 that are are striking and profound. You know, I think of uh, Ezekiel 33, for example, which is this beautiful parable of the watchman on the walls. And God says to Ezekiel, you are that watchman. If you warn the city of destruction, um, then you've done your duty and, and you will be saved. But if you fail to warn the city that destruction is coming, you will be responsible. And that was a word to Ezekiel in 587 B.C., but it's also a word to me as a, a father of a household that I need to instruct my children. And if I faithfully, you know, pass on to them the Catholic faith with, with all of its teaching, okay, I've done my duty and then that responsibility is on them. But if I fail to warn my kids about things that they are doing that are going to have negative consequences, then I'm failing in that, that prophetic role that God has called me to by my baptism. 
Our listeners have heard me talk about what we lovingly refer to as the Wright Institute for Theological Discourse, a.k.a. the dining room table, Dr. Bergsma. And uh, and I love these programs through the Emmaus Academy because it takes some of the pressure off me. We can have some adjunct instructors come into the convenience of our own home through, you know, smart screens and all of that. But I, I think even for those of us without kids, that, that whole Baltimore Catechism basic of know God, love God, serve God, it's it's knowing God in the heart, but it's also knowing him in the head. And these Courses are a great way for us to do that. So for more information on Dr. Bergsma's course on the major prophets and their significant role in salvation history, you can go to stpaulcenter.com slash Emmaus-Academy, and it's stpaulcenter.com. And if, if you don't know how to spell Emmaus Academy, I'll tell you, I've been to the website a number of times. There's a prominent link you can click on as well. But stpaulcenter.com slash Emmaus-Academy. And you can find this uh, 14-week course there as well as many others. John, I want to thank you for being with us on the show today. It's really been great to talk about the Old Testament prophets, and I look forward to the next time we can have you with us. Absolutely. It's great to be with you, Adam. You have a great day, and we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. Daily Offering God the Father, I thank Thee for creating me. God the Son, I thank Thee for redeeming me. God the Holy Spirit, I thank Thee for sanctifying me. Infuse into my thoughts, words, and actions Thy grace, so that they may be supernaturally pleasing to Thee and supernaturally rewarding to me forever. O blessed Trinity, abundantly assist me in becoming that which Thou intended me to become when Thou created me. For in Thy perfection I will give Thee the glory Thou desirest of me, and in that perfection I will find my greatest joy in heaven. Amen. Father David Skillman is back with us again this Thursday morning. Father, I have to confess, I feel like a homeroom teacher now, just calling everyone to order on Thursday mornings, uh, right about, what, just a little bit before 8, this is good homeroom time, uh, sending them off to theology class with you as we continue to walk through the Redeemer of Man, the first encyclical from St. John Paul II, where last week we left off talking about the human dimension of redemption, and today we're going to pick up and talk about this this entire mystery of redemption, because this is, as much as we know, there, there's still a lot I don't know. There's still a lot that I would say is a mystery, Father. Indeed, yes. And so, you know, throughout the whole first part of this encyclical, uh, John Paul has been again and again calling our attention back to the person of the Redeemer <laughs> and the mystery of redemption, which we receive in him, which is, of course, Christ himself. Um, and now in the last couple sections of this second part of the encyclical, he's going to focus in now on the fact that if we're going to be disciples of Christ, we're also going to be sent by him on mission. And the church has a mission. At the heart of that mission is Christ, the person of Christ. And he has to be at the center um, of our efforts to unite as Christians. He's going to talk a little bit about that. But even more so uh, in our, our mission out to the world ad gentes, as we say in Latin, to the nations, um, to bring the truth of Christ out, out to those who have not yet embraced him as their redeemer. And um, so in this section, which is called the mystery of Christ as the basis of the church's mission and of Christianity, he draws on Vatican II quite a bit. It's document on the non-Christian religions, which is called Nostra Aetate. And the Holy Father highlights this gift we've been given in our faith in Christ, uh, which is a fulfillment of this religious instinct that's in every human heart. You know, we're religious beings, 
and there are there are seeds he uses this this patristic this phrase of the fathers of the church there are seeds of the word in all of the religions of the world that prepare for the fullness of truth that we believe has been revealed in Christ and he mentions in particular Judaism and Islam the other two great monotheistic religions of the world um, but he, it, these, these initial reflections crescendo towards this formulation of the centrality of Christ um, in revealing God and revealing humanity. So he writes this, In Christ and through Christ, God has revealed himself fully to mankind and has definitively drawn close to it. At the same time, in Christ and through Christ, man has acquired full awareness of his dignity or the heights to which he is raised, of the surpassing worth of his own humanity and of the meaning of his existence. And so from that point, Christ is the revealer of both God and humanity. We are now called uh, within Christianity to strive for unity in our ecumenical efforts. He says, all of us who are Christ's followers must therefore meet and unite around him, around Christ, right? So there's this call to not ignore the differences that exist between the different denominations within Christianity, but to unite around the person of Christ so that we can give witness out to the world. And uh, we need that, you know, just to give that witness, we have to be united. You know, the divisions are a source of, of scandal and can cause doubt. And so uh, he writes this, we can and must immediately, an interesting word, we have to immediately reach and display to the world our unity in proclaiming the mystery of Christ. Jesus Christ is the stable principle and fixed center of the mission that God himself has entrusted to man. So immediately, right now, despite our differences, let us acknowledge what we have in common, which is faith in Christ and proclaim him anew to the world. And he has this, these words of encouragement. If this mission seems to encounter greater opposition nowadays than ever before, this shows that today it is more necessary than ever, and in spite of the opposition, more awaited than ever. So he, he concludes this section with this, this tone of, of hope and confidence because he knows that every human heart in the world is made for what the church has to offer, is made for communion with Christ. And so he, there's this urgency immediately. We have to bring this to bear to the world. We have to bring Christ to the world in our day. I, I love what you said that divisions can cause scandal, which I've heard before, mm-hmm. but then you added to that and doubt and the importance of that unity that if if you're saying one thing and I'm saying another thing that, you know, we believe this about Jesus. No, no, no. That's what Father believes, but I, I believe this about Jesus. And down the line and down the line and down the line, someone who's asking about Jesus might say, well, which which is it here? Because you're all right. purporting to be Catholic and yet you're all saying very different things. And that's where that division really causes that doubt and mm-hmm. and scandal. Right. Yeah. And so the, the that call to, without ignoring those differences, let us begin from what we have a firm unity around, which is the person of Christ, right? And proclaim him to the world. What, what is that phrase I hear so often in essential things, unity, and non-essential things, diversity, and in all things, charity. charity right. So wonderful. Yeah. Father, this has been great to uh, to dive into again today. I look forward to next week where we're going to hear more about the church's mission and human freedom. Thank you for being with us on this Thursday morning. Thank you. A prayer for greater love of Jesus. Oh, my Jesus, thou knowest well that I love thee, but I do not love thee enough. Oh, grant that I may love thee more. O love that burnest ever and never failest, my God, thou who art charity itself, 
enkindle in my heart that divine fire which consumes the saints and transforms them into thee. Amen. May the sacred heart of Jesus be loved in every place. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. We stop on this Thursday for our daily dose of encouragement, where Patty Schneier has been sharing with us all week meaningful Christmas traditions we might want to explore with our children. Patty, what do you have in store for us today? Well, today I actually have two. The first is books. And I want to share two of my very favorite children's books that we always read to our kids. They are beautiful Christian stories. The first is called The Crippled Lamb by Max Lucado. I read this book 30 years ago to my kids, but I can still remember the line from the book, God has a place for those who feel left out. It's a great story. I just want to recommend it to everyone. The Crippled Lamb by Max Lucado. Read that story to your children or grandchildren. Another book is called The Three Trees, and that's another great book to read to children during this Advent Christmas season. Then the next suggestion I want to give today, it's not necessarily Catholic, but it really is a meaningful tradition, so I do want to share it. A long, long time ago, this is back before I was married, before I ever had kids, I was actually in high school at the time. My family of origin, what we had to do to show up on Christmas Day with all the aunts and uncles and cousins was each family had to create their own Christmas carol take a Christmas carol and rewrite it all about your own family. And I'll never forget it. So I was 18. My sister was 20. My brothers were 10 and 6 at the time. And each of us had to perform this. We had to get up and perform it on Christmas Day. Each person in our family, so there were six of us, had our own verse. And I can still sing the refrain today. And I'm going to share this, what we did. Years later, this is what the O'Brien family did for our Christmas carol. It was Silver Bells. But the refrain went like this. Holidays, skates and sleighs, it's Christmas time at O'Brien's. Peace on earth, goodwill to man, from Bill, Sue, Peg, Pat, Mike, and Dan. That was the refrain of our family Christmas carol. Now, why do I share this with you? Because 30 years later, our kids, now these are now the grandkids, rewrote it again, same song, and they did it with all new references and family jokes and details about our lives now. So this has become part of our family lore, this family Christmas carol. So what I want to do, I want to recommend to all of you, if you've got some time, it can be the Christmas activity for everybody. Write your family Christmas carol. You'll have a blast and your kids will remember it. You know, Patty, it, it seems to me that sometimes we think about this in an overly pious manner, that everything we do this time of year has to be holy. But, it, you know, it, it seems to me this time spent with family on what might be a goofy-sounding activity, writing your own Christmas carol, actually can bring about the beauty and the joy of family life that we're called to in this vocation of marriage. Absolutely. This week, I know these suggestions may not be the holiest or something that you're thinking, what does this have to do with my Catholic faith? But it does. It actually does. When you make these memorable moments with children within your family, however you do it, goofy, silly, fun, and otherwise, 
those memories do last, and you're bringing the joy of Christmas and family unity together. What a wonderful encouragement for us on this Thursday. I'm trying to think of how I would turn Roadmap to Heaven into a Christmas song for you, a Christmas carol, and I'm not sure. And it's probably better if in this moment I don't try. But I was thinking about this yesterday. Think about that uh, that one. It's not really a Christmas song. It's a seasonal festive song. Nothing to do with the religious holiday, the holy day that we're going to celebrate. But Winter Wonderland. When it snows, ain't it thrilling how your nose gets a chillin'? I don't know about you, but I've never walked outside into the bitter cold or the brisk cold and had my nose so frozen you, you know that feeling, that sensation. I, I, I've never said, wow, this is thrilling. But I have admired the beauty of a winter snowfall, especially when we are enjoying the lights and the decorations, especially walking out of church. Those years we've been graced to walk out of midnight mass on a snowy Christmas Eve or even Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock, 4.30 mass on a snowy Christmas Eve. It's, it's a beautiful sight. And... I'm grateful for it every time it happens, even though it probably, it sounds like it's not going to happen this year from what Mike Roberts has said. That's okay. The important thing is we're going to be celebrating Christmas. Speaking of which, tomorrow morning, we've got the Roadmap Roundup for you. It's our final show of the year, so we thought we'd bring some friends in. And we're going to talk about some ways to celebrate the season. The season begins 4 p.m. Sunday. It doesn't end on Monday, as the secular world would have you believe. You know, take down all the decorations and move on to the next thing. No. We start on Sunday. Let's witness to that. We're going to talk about ways to do that tomorrow morning, so tune in for that. And then next week, uh, we're not going to have Roadmap to Heaven. We're going to take the week off from the show. Uh, We will have Mass for you every morning, and then tune in to Covenant Network every day during the Christmas octave. We'll have Christmas music playing, and it's delightful and wonderful, and uh, you can hear it here. And there's a custom at this radio station. When you hear, do you hear what I hear? You have to turn up the radio all the way for the last part. It's what you have to do. It's just Those are the rules. You have to do it. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of our Lord, Star of the Sea, Alma Redemptoris Mater, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I hope you have a blessed Thursday. For those of you that have the kids home from school, I hope you get to do something fun today. Uh, Don't forget to make those final preparations around the house. I heard a rumor that uh, Santa has given up cookies and is on keto and he'd like bacon, but I don't don't know that that's true. I like cookies, though, and uh, I hope to enjoy some Christmas cookies this weekend as well. And I hope you get to enjoy whatever it is that brings you good cheer this time of year. Make the best of this final few days of Advent for Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.